We are delighted this morning to have Reverend Kevin Mays with us. Kevin was on staff here 20-some years ago. And his wife is here with us as well. And we're just delighted to have them back. And he's going to uh, bring us the word of God and then uh, bring us a special in song. If you come, brother. Well, thank you for having us. We're so glad to be here, me and Julie. Uh, we were here, it was about 30 years ago, something like that. Uh, my daughter, Kara, was born here. Uh, and uh, she is... Tw- I'm. 20, almost 28 years old, and uh, my two boys went to Cornerstone. Matthew went to Cornerstone. I can't remember his teacher's name, but I would believe that she would remember him. But uh, 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 and so we had a, it was a great time here. We made some very dear friends here. Some of them are still here, and uh, and we we so were excited to come back. The last time I was standing here was not a joyful time. I was here for Kathy Collins' uh, service, memorial service, and uh, Kathy and Porter, I had the privilege of when I was on staff here of taking a group. I moved here from Oklahoma, and I had planned a cruise to the Alaska in Oklahoma, and when I moved here, so I had about 15 people from Alaska, from Oklahoma going to Alaska. It was already set and everything, and so I was going to go. When I came here, someone said, well, why don't we go too? And so we took about 15 people from here to Alaska, so we took 30 people, and it was a great time. And Kathy and Porter Collins were two of those people, and uh, we, I remember very clearly one night, believe it or not, it's like two in the morning, because the sun didn't go down. And it took us a few days to get used to that. And Porter, are, Porter and I are standing on the bow of the ship looking at just the beautiful Alaskan wilderness. And we were talking. And Porter and I had some really, really good talks through the years we were here. And then uh, we stayed friends with Kathy and Deb. And, and they're just, they're our family. And uh, we love them so much. And we love you. And we're so thankful for being asked back. Uh, I... I uh, I've been doing this a long time and, and, and uh, I'm excited to be able to, always excited to be able to share the word of God. I like your, your verse, your theme verse is, uh, and you know Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing, a new thing. Uh, now it springs forth. Do, do you not perceive it? Do you know it's coming? You know it's coming. A new thing is happening. It will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You know, it's so easy when you look at the world that we live in now. It's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? You see all the stuff that's going on around you. You think, where are these bozos getting these ideas from? What is going on? I mean, the, the you know, I mean, it's just crazy. And then you see a scripture like that. I'm about to do a new thing. I'm about to, I believe that with all my heart. I believe God is only going to put up with this for so long. And then he's going to do a new thing and he's going to change the world. And so I want you to know, I want to encourage you today, no matter how bad it seems, God is in control. God is in control. How many of you remember the good old days? You remember the good old days? Yeah, uh, yeah, I see a lot of hands going up. You remember the good old days? Do you find yourself longing for what used to be? And regretting how bad things are today. Sometimes I sit at my desk and I think, man, I wish it was like this. I wish it was like this when it was this way. Why is it this way? According to Time Magazine, the top discipline problems in high school in the 1940s were talking, chewing gum, 
making noise and running in the hallways and getting out of turn in line. And littering. Those were the top discipline problems in the 40s. Today we have drugs, alcohol, disrespect of teachers, disorder, gangs, sexting, bullying, robbery, assault, and kids getting killed in school, school slayings. Have you ever listened to someone in their uh, 70s or 80s? I, I love to be around older people because you can learn so much. I, I'm, actually, I'm quickly becoming one of those people, by the way. I'm officially an old person now. But, but, uh, we're, but you talk to someone in their 70s, 80s, 90s, they're always re- reminiscing about the glory days 50 or 60 years ago. They, they, like, uh, they, like, they describe the life they described back then was a lot different than life is today. But they don't just compare. They sometimes go on a tirade about how terrible things are today, taking pot shots at both people and places. They're sometimes so sour that they can't see anything to celebrate in the here and now. So today we're going to see that while the past is important, and it is, we need to remember the past, it can keep us from the present if we make it all important. We could, we could say, say it like this, we need to remember the past while embracing the present so that we can be faithful in the future. What God has specific, what has God specifically asked you? I'm talking to you, you right now, each one of you, look in your little mirror, pretend you have a mirror, look in your mirror, or you get up in the morning, look in your mirror, what has God specifically asked you where he has placed you? Where he has placed you to do what only he can do through you. You are special. And God has a plan for each one of you, and he wants you to do something. Every person in this room has a specific thing that God wants them to do. All throughout the generations, uh, God's spirit has stirred up the people of God to do the work of God. We are his hands and feet. We learn from the scripture how God addressed the people's indifference to his work and how he dealt with their anxiety about doing his work. We need to have the right priorities so we can live by the windshield and not the rearview mirror. There's an old saying, and I really honestly don't, believe, don't know where it came from. I can't, I, look, I tried, whenever I use a quote or a story, I try to give uh, credit for that. I, I can't pinpoint where it came from, but it's so true. It's been said that the reason the windshield of the car is bigger than the rear view mirror is because we should spend more time looking ahead of us than behind us while we're driving. That's good advice. I don't, I'm from Florida, and uh, people in Florida drive crazy. I mean, to tell you, I, and I'm from there, and I'm saying that, and uh, we, have, we, are, we are blessed, privileged, I would say sometimes, to have so many different nationalities in Florida, and from all over the world, the very culture in Tampa, where I'm from, I, I live in a little town called Land Lakes, which is about 20 miles north of Tampa, but Tampa is what I say, because nobody knows where Land Lakes, and we do not make the butter there, by the way, uh, uh, but uh, I live there. And the problem with uh, the driving in Tampa is we have all of these different cultures from all around the world. My son, Evan, lives in the Dominican Republic. And when we go to the Dominican Republic, they drive like, traffic lights are just a suggestion, you know. And so, uh, but in Florida, these people come from all over the world. And that's great. That's fine. We don't have a problem with that. They're they're wonderful people. We have a, my church is a very multicultural people. I have people from all over the world in my church. The problem is they come and they drive like they drove in their country. And so you have to be a defensive driver. And so you better be looking in your windshield 
Better be looking forward. That's, that's the reason the windshield's so big. I don't know who said this first, but it couldn't be more true when applied to our Christian walk of faith. We are meant to drive looking out of our windshields rather than our rearview mirrors. It's like driving a car. We were never meant to navigate life looking behind us. God created us to move forward and to continue moving forward. In Philippians 3, chapter 3, verses 13, it says, Brothers and sisters, Paul said, I don't consider that I have taken hold of it yet. In other words, I don't consider that I've arrived. But here is the one thing I do. I forget what's behind me and I push hard toward what is ahead of me. I push myself forward toward the goal to win the prize. And God has appointed me to win it. God has appointed you to win it. The heavenly prize is Jesus Christ himself. Paul first acknowledges that he's not arrived. He says that. I, am not, I, I don't consider that I've arrived, that I've taken hold, that I understand it all. The destination to which God has called him is, to, is, is still before him. In other words, his, his destination is before him. And as long as you're alive, your destination is before you. You know one of the things, uh, I'm sure you have this here, Dan, that you go ask someone to do something and they say, I'll let the younger people do it. I've done my time. Well, in my church, I don't buy that. I'm sorry. I don't have that sympathy. I, I, you know what I do? I grab their hand and I check their pulse. And I said, you still have a pulse. When, you, when that stops beating, you've done your time. There's no such thing as retirement in the Bible. Nobody retires in the Bible. And so God didn't invent, that's a man-made creation. So if you're here and there's something you ought to be doing, you ought to be doing. If God's telling you to do something, if God's sparking an interest in your heart, as a pastor, nothing bothers me more than somebody to come to me and say, you don't have a great idea about this ministry. And I say, that's an awesome idea. Why don't you head that? Oh, no, 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 pastor. I, I can't do that. I, I'm just, it's a good idea. You need to do it. And I say, well, I don't have time to do it. So if it's going to get done. So as long as you have a pulse, you're, you're, you haven't done your time. And he's saying the work is in progress. The work is before you. You need to do that. You can't rely on other people to do that. If God has called you, you need to answer the calling and do it. We all struggle with not with hanging on to the past, so it's impossible to forget things. But if we're able to always remember our past, we also have the ability to remember why we strain forward to look ahead and our present calling and our identity and also our future belonging. While, while our memory reminds us of the past, it's just that. It's a memory. So put the past behind you, look forward to whatever God has in store for you, and move forward in faith. Move forward in faith. In order to live in the newness of life that Jesus offers us, we have to move forward in faith. Like many people, we always find ourselves looking back, don't we? we always look back. I, I, I remember the days, you know, oh, I remember when there were so many more people. I remember when there was this. I remember when we did this. I remember when we did that. Well, guess what? This message is not about the past. It's about the future. And it's time that we as believers stop looking back at the good old days and start looking forward to what life in Christ has to offer for our future. God-sized faith is displayed when we step out in trust before the miracle takes place. It means we keep our eyes on Jesus when storms rage around us. Rage around us. It means we are willing to follow God without fully knowing where it will take us. And it means living for God even if it costs us something. The, the stories of faith in the scripture have been given to us as an example to follow. God wants his people to live out an extraordinary faith in their lives because we become witnesses of God's power when we are full of faith. 
Abraham, there's a, a, in the Middle East, they train Arabian horses and they go through this training. It's very rigorous in the deserts of the Middle East. The trainers require absolute obedience from these horses. And they test them to see if they're completely trained and obedient. The final test is almost beyond the endurance of any living creature. You may have heard this story. The trainers force the stories to go out, go without water for many, many days. Running, 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 they don't give them any water. Then finally, on the final day of training, they turn them loose and they start running toward the water. They start running toward the water, and how, but just as they get to the edge of the water to start drinking, ready to plunge in and drink and just suck that water in and, and refresh themselves, the trainer blows his whistle. And those horses who have been completely trained and have learned perfect obedience, they stop. They, they don't drink. They turn around and they walk back to the tra- trainer and they're quivering and they're shaking and they're making noise. They want water. They want it. They want it. They want it. They can't stand it. But they wait there in perfect obedience. And when the trainer is sure that he has their full obedience, he gives them a signal to go back and drink. In order for God to see God move powerfully in our lives, we have to follow his lead. We have to be completely obedient to him. We can't do our own thing all the time. You know, we have to follow him. God's word never changes. He gives us his word so that we know what to do. If you're not reading the word, if you're not studying the word, it's no wonder you don't know what to do. You have to be in God's word. It's not, and, and believe me, I've tried. It doesn't work by osmosis. You can't put it under your pillow and lay on it and think it's going to seep through. I did that in college. It didn't work very well either. But you, you, you got to read it. You got to read it. And, and this verse that I read speaks to me. And I can't tell you how many times that, that when I read the scripture, that I've read hundreds of times. And then one day, because of the way the Spirit is moving, he speaks to me in a different way through that scripture. That's what this, this book is a living creation. It's living. It's, te- it's, once, it's telling you what to do. In order to see God move powerful, powerfully in our lives, we have to follow his lead. There, there have been times in my life when I've operated full of faith. I've sensed God's leading when I pray, when I read his word, spend time with other believers. And, and these times have been a reality only because I've been trained to listen. To listen to him and to his leading. I don't do it perfectly every time. I don't. But, but the times that I do have produced amazing results that increase my faith in him even more. I, found, I have found that the power of God at work in my life is directly correlated to my closeness to him. Uh, maybe the reason your outlook for the future is weakened is that you failed to follow closely as he leads. God may be waiting for you to exercise your faith by taking steps in the right direction. He's waiting for you to take the first step. Our obedience can limit God's work in our lives. God's not going to force you to do anything. There's a story in, 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 in the Bible, and it's, it's kind of our text today, and, and uh, it's, it's about Joshua. Joshua was Moses' Moses successor, and, and uh, when Moses couldn't cross over into the promised land. And God, in this story, God wants to, people to see Joshua in the same light as they saw Moses. And so in Joshua's life, the first thing that happened was that God split the Jordan River for Joshua, just as he did the Red Sea for Moses. However, he did it a little bit differently than he did for Moses. 
so I'm going to read uh, Joshua chapter 3, 7 through 16, just to kind of get a gist of the story. And the Lord said to Joshua, I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, Jordan's waters, go and stand in the water. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord our God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the, all those people, all those people in the, in the promised land. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now, when, now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordans, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. As soon as they stepped in to the water, the water stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down from the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Speaking through Joshua, God gives the priests their instructions for what they need to do in order for them to, to, to enter the promised land, the land of Canaan. They're to take, a, they're to take the Ark of the Covenant and there's a walk to the river, which is at flood stage, and they're to enter the river. And this instruction is already a test of the faith because the water's high. Uh, I just came from Florida last week. We had a hurricane, and uh, we didn't get uh, any damage. But all along the coast of Florida, there was a uh, 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 storm surge. And some places as high as 16 feet. Those people know what flooding's all about, don't they? The, the, I don't know how high the flood stage is for the Jordan River, but anytime a river is high, it means it's way outside of its banks, right? There's flood stage. It's way outside of its banks. So, and it's usually rushing pretty quick. So when you step in, you know, so they, it was a test already. It's testing their faith already. Do you trust me? God's saying, do you trust me? If you do, step into the water. Somebody ought to write a song called that. Maybe they did, step into the water. Maybe I'll write it. But anyway... Joshua knew that if the people were willing to trust God to make a way through the Jordan, he would also make a way through the new land where he was leading them. Two major obstacles were in the way, the river and the enemies. It would require faith to remain obedient to God. What I find most interesting about this story is that God didn't split the water. Like when Moses, he just, he just at least in the movie, <laughs> he just laid the stick down and the water went open. He didn't have to do anything special, just just commanded and it opened. Uh, but in this case, he didn't do that. He didn't split the water and provide dry ground to walk across until the priests carrying the ark put their feet in the water. Their demonstration of faith by putting themselves ankle deep in the Jordan was a catalyst to the amazing thing God would do for them. Why'd God do it this way? Because it was a test of their faith. He wanted to know that they trusted him, and faith always requires a first step, doesn't it? What, what are you asking God to do in your life right now? For the Israelites, they were believing God for a promised land of blessing where they could be set apart for him. What about you? Maybe God's calling you 
to uh, follow him into the ministry. Maybe you sense God is wanting you to make the first steps in being reconciled with someone. Maybe there's someone that you've been mad at for years and he's saying it's enough. Maybe God is wanting you to move past some kind of sin that has held you captive or maybe God is wanting you to serve someone, someone in need in your community. I don't know about here. I know in Florida we have a lot of homeless people. I'm sure it has to do with the weather. Your winters are horrible. Uh, that's, I, I, I love Connecticut. I love the people. We were talking about it last night at dinner, but I just can't tolerate your winters anymore. Uh, it's just, I don't know how you do it. You're, you're, you're strong, strong people. It, that's all I can say. Uh, but maybe God's wanting you to serve someone in your community. Maybe God's wanting you, that next time you see that homeless person, maybe he wants you to buy them a meal or, or that neighbor in need, maybe he wants you to pay to fix something. I don't know, but God is always calling us to do something. You may, you may feel scared to do those things, to step out in faith, because it's a hard thing to do. You may see a list of obstacles in your way, and we can always find reasons not to do things, can't we? Uh, but, but what if God is just asking you to take one initial step? You don't have to have it all figured out. The path may be deep, dark, and murky, but the water won't part until you get ankle deep. I read this, uh, talking about fear, I read this article in Guidepost magazine. I thought about something that says this. I thought about something today that never entered my mind before. The word ear is part of the word fear. Let me explain why I think that's important. Have you ever had God place a dream on your heart? Or place something on your heart he wants you to do, something he wants you to do that's out of your comfort zone, or something so crazy that it seems impossible? Well, I have, and I know what the Satan does to me immediately, immediately. He starts whispering in my ear, planting fear and doubts. The writer goes on to say, he's telling me there's no way those things will ever happen. To, to ever happen. You can't do it. It's impossible. Can anybody relate to that? You see, if he can paint plant enough fear in us, it defeats us from accomplishing the task God has for us to do. Satan works to get our eyes on the impossibilities instead of the possibilities of what God has called us to do instead of on the possibilities of what he wants us to do and knows we can do and will help us to do. God has a unique plan for each of our lives, a plan that nobody else can accomplish. I don't want to get to the end of my life and hear God say, I gave you so many gifts and talents. I, I, I had so much I wanted you to do, and I would have opened doors for you. I would have equipped you with everything you needed, but you let fear went out, and you never took that first step on the journey. You know what I think is one of the most important things we can do to reach those dreams God has for us? Take the first step. Take the first step. Noah took that first step when he started building an ark to survive the flood and they'd never even seen rain. But you can imagine how crazy that must have seemed to everyone. But God had a plan for Noah's life. David was just a young boy when he faced Goliath. He, he, would, never have, he would never have slayed that giant if he hadn't taken that first step of faith and walked out to face him. Abraham took that first step of faith when God told him to travel to find his inheritance and he didn't even know where he was going. But God said, get moving, get moving. And that's exactly what Abraham did. When God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, Abraham took that step of faith and prepared for the sacrifice, not knowing how it would end. God gave orders to Joshua 
to cross the River Jordan, enter the Promised Land, and later to march around the city of Jericho for seven days. Can you imagine how ridiculous that must have looked while they marched for seven days before the walls fell? You, got, you know those soldiers in the side were making fun of them. But it wouldn't have happened if Joshua hadn't, Joshua hadn't been obedient and taking those first steps. It was a step of faith for the children of Israel to walk into that Red Sea, when God, but God had provided a dry ground for them to walk on and he provided it again for them across the river Jordan. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, had, had taken a step of faith to walk into that fiery furnace and by doing it, by doing it, they got to literally walk with God. How cool is that? I can only imagine uh, how overwhelmed the young orphan girl felt when God told her to stand before the king and beg for the lives of her people. But the Jewish people were saved because Esther took those steps of faith. What does God ask you to do? Does it seem ridiculous? Will everyone think you're crazy? The God who calls you to the task will equip you with everything you need to accomplish that task. Listen, do not let Satan fill your ear with fear. And I challenge you today to take that first step of faith and then watch what God can do. You know, one of the, one of the hardest things that, uh, or one of the things that I hear the most of is, Pastor, I, I, I don't know enough, I'm not smart enough, I don't know my Bible well enough to share my faith with people. And I tell them, listen, if you're, if you're faced with somebody, if God places somebody in your path, and you sense the Spirit telling you to share the gospel with them, just open your mouth. God's not going to ask you to do something that he's not going to equip you to do, okay? Now, we need to be in the Word and all of that and, and, and be studying God's Word and all, but if God is, if you, if you know, you know, all those times that happened, that wasn't just indigestion. That was the Holy Spirit prompting you to do that. Step out. I can remember in my life, I don't consider myself a Bible scholar, uh, believe it or not, but, but I can remember in my life speaking to people about the gospel and, and, and God just, the words just flowing out of me. Uh, that, man, I didn't even know I knew that. And God just gives you that, gives you that, gives you that. But until you take that first step of faith and open up and, and do what he wants, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Having faith in God is simple in con concept. Follow, follow closely where he leads and, and be willing to take the steps to see him work in your life. This kind of faith doesn't affect just you because it has an effect on people all around you. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, Joshua 3.17 says, stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by them until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. These priests were obedient to God's instruction. And as long as they stood in the middle of the dry river, riverbed, the whole nation of Israel was able to pass through without getting wet. God can be trusted and he will bless your obedience. But you need to realize that faith is rarely a decision with only one person, with only personal consequences. A way was made for God's people to cross Jordan into the promised land. When we step out with trust in God, there are often others around who benefit. A father who's full of faith will have a positive impact on his children. A wife full of faith can transform her husband. A single family that is full of faith can affect a whole neighborhood. A church full of faithful people can have a huge impact on a community and even the whole world.
When you take that step of faith, you step, your step of faith could be a blessing to others. God may be inviting you today to step out in faith, not only for your benefit, your trust in God may be a catalyst for blessing people all around you. And as the Israelite people headed into the long-awaited promised land, Joshua led them. The only thing standing in their way was the flooded river, the Jordan River. Just like Moses' faith in God split the Red Sea, Joshua's faith would do it again. The only problem was that they would have to get their feet wet first. The first steps of obedience would allow them to see the miracle. What if God is waiting for us to step out in faith before we see his, his work in our lives? The great composer Felix Mendelssohn uh, once visited a cathedral at Freiburg and having heard the great organ, he went into the organ loft and asked if he'd be allowed to play it. Well, the old organist, in jealousy for his instrument, at first refused, but was afterward prevailed on, on to allow the great German composer to try this colossal organ of the cathedral. And after standing by in ecstasy of delight and amazement for a few moments, uh, the organist of the church laid his hands on the shoulders of Mendelssohn and exclaimed, who are you? What is your name? He said, Mendelssohn, Felix Mendelssohn. And the organist of the church said, can it be that I so nearly refused to let the great composer Felix Mendelssohn play this instrument? Listen, Christians so many times refuse to let God have his way in their life because they're afraid of the outcome. They're afraid of the outcome. Little do they know that if they would let God do as he sees fit, the outcome would be much greater than anything they could dream of. Your step of faith ought to lead to a step of action. Decide to do the hard things and see how God moves in powerful ways. When God speaks, it's time to take the first step. And, and, what he's calling, and, and that's what he's calling us to do. Get out of the boat and walk on the water with him. Overcome our fears. But when we do, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Y'all remember the story of Peter. The storm in, in Matthew chapter 14, the storm is, is raging. Uh, the, the, Jesus had spoke and fed the 5,000 and he sent the disciples across the, river, across the water and he went up to the mountain to pray and, he, he, and so they left ahead of him. So they're, they're out on the, the water and the water's kind of rough and then Jesus, he, he knows he's got to get there so he walks on the water out to the, to the boat and uh, the disciples see him. It was late when Jesus got there. They saw him walking on the water and they thought they'd seen a ghost. They were scared. They were afraid. Jesus told them not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. Unsure, Peter said, if it's really you, Jesus, command me to walk with you on the water. So Jesus invited him to come to him. And Peter obediently got out of the boat. He started walking at Jesus' invitation. Right before the disciples' eyes, a miracle took place. Peter is walking on the water. That's the goal of the Christian life, to respond to God's call, to trust him and have the faith to take risks for God, blessing others with our decision. But just as quickly as Peter got on the water, he began to sink. Peter's flaw was that he let the eye, his eyes focus on the swirling waters around him and, di and didn't keep his eyes on Jesus. If we're honest, we have the tendency to do the same thing, don't we? Even though we may have started by develop, developing a deep faith in Jesus, if we aren't careful, the worries of the world will creep in, won't they? The struggle with faith is that it doesn't have a long shelf life. You got to keep renewing it all the time. You got to keep renewing it. Many of us 
uh, try to live off recycled faith. Remember the good old days. We, we remember that and we try to live off recycled faith. We don't, we don't take the time to nurture a vibrant trust in God that renewed us each and every day. The danger in this way of living is that our eyes can drift from the Savior to our circumstances. And we may begin to sink. You need to take your eyes off your circumstances and place them on Jesus. Julie and I have always had a strong faith in Jesus. It's led us throughout our lives in ministry. Through the good times and the bad times. And yes, there are bad times in ministry. Uh, in some ways, and most of the time, our faith felt unshakable. But there have been a few times in our lives where we've wondered if our faith would be enough to get us through because there were a few times where we felt the winds and the waves like never before. Now, I'm not going to retell you the story of our son's fight with addiction. Some of you know the story. But I will tell you that it was one of the very darkest times in our lives. And at times, I have to be honest, I couldn't feel the presence of God. I know he was always there. I know he was, but there were times when I could not feel him. Another time was just seven or eight, almost eight years ago when Julie got diagnosed with cancer. That was a long and brutal, brutal battle, a year-long battle. It was devastating. What did we do to deserve this, God? Why us? And God said, why not you? And there were times when we found ourselves wondering where God was in the middle of all the pain. And I'll admit, I felt my eyes shift from Jesus to the waves of sadness and wondering. Where was he in all that? Maybe you felt your eyes move from Jesus to the painful situations you find yourself in. We need to respond the way Peter did. He cried out, save me. And that's the correct response to a fragile faith. There's no shame in reaching out for Jesus' rescue. He's our ever-present help in time of need. Take your eyes off the circumstance and place them on Jesus. Once Jesus and Peter were back in the boat, the waters calmed and the disciples worshipped him because they knew he was the son of God. Today I believe Jesus has given each of you the same invitation he gave to Peter. To leave the comfort and the security of the boat and step out onto the waters of bold and courageous faith to see the power of God work in and through you in amazing ways. Listen, there's always going to be waves. There's always going to be winds and distractions from Jesus. Take your eyes off your circumstances and place them on Jesus. And if you can keep your eyes on him, there's no telling what you can do. Church, it's easy to and very common to feel discouragement these days. It seems like the whole world's falling apart, doesn't it? The world we live in today is so different than it was when most of us were young, but God doesn't want us to be discouraged. He promised he would never leave us and he would never forsake us. We got to stop comparing today with the past. We got to look to the future. I know there are people here today that remember the good old days and what they look like. There's no comparison to the good old days when right was right and wrong was wrong. Amen? 
when people stood up and defended the weak and justice prevailed. Does anyone remember when people came to church because it was the right thing to do? Not only if they didn't have anything more important to do, the past may be trumping the present sometimes, and because we sometimes think the past was better, we begin to blast, blast the task in front of us. It's true that this new day is almost nothing like the old days, but everything's not all bad. Does anybody remember not having air condition? Move to Florida for a week and live in a house with no air conditioning, and that'll snap back to you real quick. Can anybody remember black and white TV? Yeah. I can remember when you had to get up and walk to the TV and change the channels. Anybody remember that? Man, I won't even watch TV now if I can't find the remote. That's how it's come. But because of the new technology and the new things we have today in this world, guess what? More people are hearing the gospel than any other time in the history of our world. Here's what's happening. Some of us who seen the good old days moan and groan and complain while those of you or us who don't have that memory think this new way of doing things is awesome. Some of us filter everything, everything through the lens of the past. You know, past glory and whatever's going on in the present simply doesn't measure up. We have to remember the past while embracing the present so that we can be faithful in the future. Today, as, as us older people tend to just dismiss the younger people, don't we? Oh, they're crazy. They don't know what they're doing. At the same time, the younger people look at us with disgust and say, man, those people are living in the past. They're just, they're just not cool. They're relics. They're not fired up to do God's work. But you know what? The older I get, the easier it is to complain about what's happening in generation X, Y, and Z. But, but then God reminds me that he's at work in every generation. We have to remember the past while embracing the present so that we can be faithful in the future. I get excited about the future when I come to church on Wednesday nights and there are 50 or 60 kids excited to be learning about Jesus and learning God's word. When I see 40 or 50 adults willing to step up and teach these kids. When two years ago, we had two kids in our children's department, two, and now we have 50 or 60. I get excited about that. That's the future. I get excited about the future when I go on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic with 15 uh, people, half of, nearly half of them are under the age of 25, and they're excited, really, really excited to be ministering Jesus to people who are less fortunate than they are. I get excited when that happens. I get excited about the future when I pray for God to send young families with children to our church, and he answers those prayers with so many children and families that we're having trouble keeping up with staffing our children's department. Now, my children's director's not as excited about that as I am, but I get excited about that. As an official older person now, and I am, I could collect Social Security if I needed to. Uh, I'd like to think that I'm still forward thinking and able to celebrate and support new things and new ideas, but I'm sure I don't always get it right. And I want to own the attitudes in my own heart that are sometimes skepti skeptical of what younger people are doing. To those of us who are 50 or older, these words from the application commentary serve as a helpful corrective. Listen closely. It's easy to become trapped into evaluating the present experience of the church with past paradigms of spirituality 
rather than remaining open to the ways in which God is impacting the present in culturally, culturally relevant ways. I'm not going to read that again. I had trouble reading it the first time. But if you want that, I can give you that quote. We have to remember the past while embracing the present so we can be faithful in the future. Here's what I'm learning about myself. When I remember the past is better than it was, the present will be worse than it is. It's okay to look at the past, but I can't live in the past. We have to remember the past while embracing the present so we can be faithful in the future. Friends, you're locked into a glory, into the glory of the good old days. If you're locked into the glory of the good old days, or if you're replaying the pain of your past, it's time to put it behind you. And we need to remember the past while embracing the present so that we can be faithful in the future. We need to do what Paul did when he remembered his past accomplished and his past failures as found in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but made it, made, made it my own. But, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus. What are you going to do? I know, I know that God has great plans for you and this church. I believe it with all my heart. I don't believe that God has given up on you. I believe that God has a plan for you, a great and glorious plan that you don't even have any imagination of what it could be. And I know that because God promises that in his word. But something else I know is if you sit in that pew and you just come on Sunday morning and, 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 and sit here for an hour and a half on Sunday morning and you never get out of that pew and take that first step, then it's not going to happen. It can happen in spite of you, but God's waiting on you to do something about it. God has given you a pastor who has a vision for this church and some of you may, I don't know, I, I've not talked to you, have I? I've, I've not talked to Dan. I don't know, but I, I, but I am a pastor and I know how things work. And God has given you, you this pastor. He's brought Dan to this place. This is, God has called him here. And God has given him a vision for this place. But it requires you stepping out in faith, taking that first step and doing what God has called you to do, not just sitting in the pew you know what we have in church? You know what we have too much of in church these days? We have too many spectators and not enough participants. God did not call you to come and be a spectator. You weren't called here to be, you don't come here to be entertained. If you do, shame on you. God didn't call you to be entertained. God didn't call you to come and just show yourself. God called you to come and do the work of the kingdom. People are dying and lost and on the road to hell all around you. I live where my church is. We, we're on a road that 100,000 cars a day drive by my church. 100,000. And that, was, that number was established five, six years ago. Maybe more than that now. But over 100,000 cars a day drive right in front of my church. Our church. It's not my church. It's God's church. But the church that I pastor. What do we do? We put signs out on the road. We're just waiting for the county to come any day and say, you got to take that sign down. But until they do, we're leaving it there. We put signs out on the road announcing things. Just a few weeks ago, we had a, 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 before our kids had been in school for two weeks. And so a week or so before school started, we did a backpack uh, giveaway. 
We had about 50 people show up Saturday morning for the backpack giveaway. And, and we, had, we had 150 backpacks fully stuffed. We went to the school system and got their school supply list and we put everything that they required for elementary, high, middle school and high school and we filled them up. And 150 came through and I asked every single person that drove through, how did you hear about this? And 75% of them said, I saw your sign. I saw your sign by the road. God wants you to be a sign for this place. Everywhere you go, when Julie and I go out to eat, we, 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 we're, we try to be nice to the waiters. And in Tampa, we'll, we'll ask them. And sometimes we'll say, kids, there's something we can pray for you about. Or, or we, you know, you've got to be Jesus to your community. You can't just be Jesus when you walk in these doors. God requires you to step out in faith. Some of you are here this morning, you may be thinking, what in the world is he talking about? I don't have any. You know, maybe you don't know this Jesus person we're talking about. Maybe you have no clue who he is. But I want you to know that he is somebody that you need to know before you leave this place if you don't know him. Because Jesus can change your life. He will change your life. And it's a simple, it's so simple that it, it almost sounds too simple. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that he is the son of God, that he died and rose again and he can forgive you of your sins and you confess to him, he will save you. He will save you. You're born again. Why would you not want to try that? You say, well, uh, why would you not want to try that? What have you got to lose? I don't know all of you. I don't know hardly any of you, so I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell you this. I know all of you enough to tell you that you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain by receiving him as your savior. I know that for a fact. What will you do? Church, those of you who are believers, what are you doing? Are you making a difference in the kingdom? Are you making a difference in the kingdom? Courage comes from knowing God is with us for us and within us. This truth should help us see the possibilities, not the problems. And we must remember the past while embracing the present so that we can be faithful in the future. Amen? I want to close with a song uh, this morning. It's an old song. An old song. Some of you may or may not remember it. But uh, it talks about when we go, when we're gone, or even when we're here, do the people that see us find us faithful? When you're dead and laying in that casket or laying in the front of the church here and people walk by, will they say, he was faithful, she was faithful? Will they find us, will they find us faithful? Pilgrims on the journey 
of the narrow road And those who've gone before us Line the way Cheering on the faithful Encouraging the weary Their lives a stirring testament To God's sustaining grace Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses Let us run the race Not only for the prize But as those who've gone before us Let us leave to those behind us The heritage of faithfulness Passed on through godly lives Oh, may all who come behind us Find us faithful May the fire of our devotion Light their way May the footprints that we leave Lead them to believe And the lives we live Inspire them to obey Oh, may all who come behind us Find us faithful After all our hopes and dreams Have come and gone And our children sift Through all we've left behind the clues that they discover and the memories they uncover become the light that leads them to the road we each must find faithful may the fire of our devotion light their way may the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey oh may all who come behind us find us faithful May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful oh may all who come behind us find us faithful a 
Thank you so much for having me here today. It's been my pleasure. I, I want us to, uh, to pray real quickly before we go. Uh, and I, Dan probably wants to pray a benediction, but I want to pray for you as a church before I go. Father God, I pray your blessing upon this place. Father God, I pray that you will give us the courage to step out of the boat and onto the water and walk with you. I pray that you will continue to guide and direct this church in their path to win more people to the kingdom. Father, it's not about us making this a bigger church or, or making my church, our church a bigger church. It's all about building your kingdom. And Father, we don't want anyone to go to hell. It's not our desire for anyone to miss heaven. And Father, I pray that you will uh, equip uh, the people of this church with things far beyond their imagination. And Lord, I know that you have great things in store and great things planned. I pray for Pastor Dan. I pray that you strengthen him, lift him up. Father, help him to continue to be the shepherd that you've called him to be, Lord, and, and give him strength. And I know how tiring, I know how hard it is. I know the work of the ministry is, 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 is tough sometimes. I pray for his staff. I pray that you lift them up, that you anoint them with, a, with your power beyond what they imagine they could even do or be or say. And Father, I pray that today that people in this room didn't hear my voice at all, but they heard your voice. And when they leave this place, they'll be different than when they came in. And they'll go out of this place ready to step out in faith. Take that first step into the water so that you can work through them. Thank you, Lord, for what you are going to do in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Thank you, Kevin. And now may the one who began a good work in you carry it on to completion. To his glory, now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.